Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescents, ours and theirs. It's awesome to have Dr. Kelly Fraden on today's podcast. We think you're going to learn as much from her as we do each time we speak with her. Kelly is a graduate of Harvard. She went to Columbia for medical school. She's a pediatrician who is now the director of pediatrics at the Atria Institute in New York. And Kelly is just packed with wisdom and great medical information. We first met Kelly on Instagram through her incredible account, Advice I Give My Friends, which provides calm, realistic, and evidence-based advice to families. And in pursuit of this mission, she has released a new book today called Advanced Parenting, which helps support parents who are navigating their children's different challenges, whether they be physical or emotional. And Kelly brings to this her own personal journey both as a doctor and as a patient. And we think that the conversation we have with Kelly will be both illuminating and super helpful to all of our listeners out there. Enjoy. We are so happy to welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Kelly Fraden. Hi, Kelly. Hi, thanks for having me. Good morning, Kelly. Well, good morning for me. Good day it's still morning for, for us. <laughs> yes, it's still morning for us. So those of you who haven't heard Kelly's first episode with us, God, it feels like a million years ago. 
It's fantastic. And you should go back and listen to it. But today we're going to kind of dig a little bit deeper with Kelly and focus on an area where she has a lot of expertise and is actually the topic of her new book, Advanced Parenting, which I'm holding up on my screen. It has a really, really good cover also. Otherwise, I wouldn't have held it up on my screen. And so we're just super happy to dive in to what is a pretty complex and heavy and intense topic, which is how do you handle as a family, as a parent, when your kid has a particular health challenge, a diagnosis, a chronic illness. And if you could start us off, Kelly, talking about how and why you got into this topic, how this became a passion for you, I think it would be great for our listeners to hear. Yeah, totally. So part of why I became interested in this topic was that, you know, I had cancer when I was a child. And, you know, I I was four and I went through and I had a couple of years of all the chemo and radiation and stuff. But even in the years after, you know, I saw the impact that that diagnosis and the trauma of having gone through all that, you know, it had on my whole family, the way that it changed the way my parents treated me and it changed the way they thought about me all the way up to COVID when like my mom was calling me because she was worried about my health. And I was like, mom, go put on a mask. Like you're the old person here. (laughs) (laughs) But so I guess that experience early on, then when I was a pediatrician, my eyes were just more open to seeing the gap between like the doctor's office and people's real lives. And so I would come up with these like beautiful plans in the office that I felt good about. But then I would also be aware that like that was only like 20% of the work and the rest of the work is done by the parent at like incorporating the plan into their home and their, and their family structure and their schools and their coaches and their summer camps and vacations and all of that other stuff that, and the parent is like alone for that part of it. And so I wanted advanced parenting to be a resource to help parents navigate all that other stuff. And so I hope that it achieves that goal. (laughs) It, It does. I mean, I think what you do is you braid some very important threads together in this book. You acknowledge that sometimes medical information is hard to hear and to understand. Then you go to the implementation piece. It is very hard to implement, especially when you haven't heard it or integrated it, right? The whole denial piece, you spend a lot of time talking about denial, which I think is very important. But then you also bring into that conversation this notion that there are health challenges and then there are health challenges. And it kind of doesn't matter on a certain level whether a child has what would be sort of considered a more minor or manageable health challenge or a severe and complicated and multifaceted health challenge because it feels like a challenge to the child and to the family either way. And of course, As pediatricians, we have seen the relativity of it all. So it very much matters, right? And we try to help put the perspective into the equation. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your choice of the word challenge and talk about what that means and why one kid with asthma might feel challenged and another one might not. And maybe you could also talk about a child with asthma who feels challenged and a child in the ICU at a hospital. So sort of all the different versions of what it looks like to feel challenged or not. Yes. Yes. I have to say in the first ideation of the book, I was talking about 
problems because in some way, when things go off the typical trajectory, it feels like a problem, like something you have to do something about and fix. And so the main reason I switched to the word challenge was actually because of the negative connotations of problem, because sometimes even from difficult circumstances, you can grow and learn and have positive experiences. And some of these things, these deviations from the typical trajectory, whether it's a disability or a learning challenge, sometimes they're part of like who we are. So it's not something we want to have stigma against. It's something we want to like learn to accept and support, but we don't want to think of it as something that needs to be fixed. So that was part of how I came to the world word challenge. Now, one thing I talk about, I have a chapter in the book with a lot of doodles and it was really kind of fun because I kept waiting for someone to say I couldn't have doodles in my book. But the point of the doodles <laughs> is about... Um, it turns out you can have anything in your book. And did you make the doodles, Kelly? I was wondering if you drew the do- Okay, I was like, I feel like maybe these are her doodles. I really <laughs> liked the doodles. They're sort of like, if you're a little afraid of graphs but you're into doodles, these will work perfectly for you because they're non-intimidating <laughs> graphs, right? Yes. Well, the, the idea is that like when you have a condition, whether it's asthma or eczema or any other kind of thing, you know, there are ups and downs. There are good days and bad days and unpredictable days that are really bad. And that's true for everyone. But one of the essential things that a parent does is assess like where they are in these ups and downs compared to where they need to be or where they want to be. I I feel like often when parents and kids, they come to the doctor looking for a plan that that's often where the the decision-making lies. Like I, I understand you're having these symptoms and this is going on, but how urgent is it that we actually change our behavior and do something about it? That's where the decisions are. So the only person that can know you know, how big the gap is between where your life is and where you'd like to be is you as the teenager or as the family unit. Because um, something that, you know, if you have minor asthma and you cough sometimes, but you you mostly enjoy crafts and reading and and you try to avoid moving your body too much, it might not need to take like a ton of medication. But if you're hoping to be an Olympian, like you're going to want to get a really tight handle on that asthma so you can live your best life. And so that's just a kind of extreme example. I think that's a great example. I mean, that's exactly when you reference these doodles, I just want to contextualize a little bit that you draw essentially little waveforms in a lot of these doodles. And there's sort of the big ups and big downs for some people. And then there's that little, like a little bumpy, um, almost like what's in Charlie Brown's sweater line, right? It's like a little bumpy line where the highs are lower and the lows are higher. And both graphs represent dealing with ups and downs and with challenges, but the relativity of them is quite different. And it doesn't always track with the severity of the problem. And I think that's something you hit on beautifully. It's something that comes up in practice all the time. Do you ever have an experience where you want someone's relative sense of what is going on to be greater? I know we all want to be able to turn the volume down for parents and we can talk about anxiety in a minute, but how about for people who are just super calm, cool, and collected and see a challenge as a nothing burger? You know. Do you have these experiences in clinical practice and what does it feel like? What does it look like? Yes. I think this comes up 
a lot in clinical practice, especially with the mental health piece. And sometimes what we see is uh, uh, that we have different opinions on whether or not an intervention is warranted, because sometimes a parent gets really used to their child as they are. And maybe that means that they're spending a couple hours even like reassuring them and, and they're avoiding activities that trigger them and they have kind of scaffolded it to a place where it feels normal for them. And then as a pediatrician, I'm like, wait, like, is it your child's temperament your child is supposed to be, or is it your child because they're they're limited by their anxiety or whatnot? So, so it's something that I dig into with parents a lot because I don't pretend to know the answer. I just try to help explore that with them. Yeah. So let's dive into this concept of kind of relativity and context, because as you say in the book, like you get one snapshot, but families are living their daily lives and they have all sorts of contexts about improving symptoms or worsening symptoms or other conditions. And as a lay person, without the sort of body of knowledge that you and Cara have as pediatricians, the question is always for me as a parent, like, when do I worry? Am I worrying too much? Am I worrying too little? When do I trust my gut? And when do I defer to the expert, the trained professional, right? So like, can you talk a little bit about how we get to that gut check and how we manage the sort of ups and downs of our, as the caregivers in relationship to our kids' own ups and downs? Yes. I think it's important to talk about, because like you said about turning the volume down or part of the reason we want to have confidence in this is that so sometimes we can do less without our child suffering you know, if we know what we're looking for as things that will lead us to go back for follow-up or to reevaluate or to reassess. And so that's why translating the impact of the clinical condition, whether it's, you know, something like asthma, where, where we're talking about like cough and sports participation and sleep, we're, we're translating in, into like, what will the parents see at home to actually know if it's out of control or in control? And, and sometimes I definitely in families where they need more help with that than other families. Mm. Maybe it's not like an, I, I have one patient, for example, that like the parents can't really tell when she's wheezing and I have to like go see her more often and listen and, and to know what you're dealing with and what you can see as a parent and what you can't see. Kelly, can you tell the story of your own cancer diagnosis and what your parents did based on their gut? Because it's really a, such a powerful story. And I think it could be very affirming to folks listening who are wondering about their own sort of parental spidey sense. Do you mind sharing that story? Uh, totally. So what happened was I was like totally fine. And then I fell out of bed one night and I had like acute um, abdominal pain and I was like doubled over in pain. So my parents took me at the time we were living in a relatively rural part of North Carolina and they took me to the closest hospital, which didn't have um, imaging capabilities or any pediatricians and was just kind of like where we ended up. And they did emergency surgery because they thought I had appendicitis and they saw that I didn't have appendicitis, but they found all this internal bleeding. And the doctors came back and they were like, accused my parents of abusing me and like that the abuse had led to internal bleeding. And they said what they would have to do is go back the next day and like take out my kidney because it was bleeding so much. 
And now my mom, and I talk about this in the book a little bit, you know, she she had had the advantage of knowing how to navigate healthcare systems mm. because her family had had um, people who were ill. And so she she had the the education and awareness that this hospital may not be the best place to make these big decisions. And she disagreed with the plan and snuck me out the stairwell and drove a few hours to the closest children's hospital where they then did imaging and found that there was like cancers in my belly and they did surgeries. I ended up keeping both my kidneys and not not having that. And so, you know, that's an act of advocacy that she was able to do because she like listened to her intuition, even when there were, you know, people who were telling her to do otherwise. This story must be hard for you to tell as a pediatrician because it's the ultimate act of advocacy. It has the happiest ending. And yet if any one of your patients or any one of my patients stole their kids, uh, you know, and it's very hard. It's actually, there's this thing in the hospital called Code Pink for those of you who don't know. Please. Right, exactly. It's like, you know, uh, yeah, abduction, abduction. Um, But it's, you know, it's complicated. It's leaving against medical advice. Your parents took you to a better place. Most people who leave against medical advice do not sort of scale up in their medical care. What they're doing is they're getting out of the system. So it's a complicated story. And I want to give like, I want to give that background color is it's not, I don't think you're advocating for people to whisk their kids out of a medical setting, but I think a very important one that you get into then in one of your chapters in great detail, which is where you get your information and who's caring for someone and going back to this concept of challenges. And if challenge has a really broad definition, then the majority of kids have health challenges, right? I mean, I think that's a fair thing to say. Almost no kids have no health challenges. And so where do you get that information? Who do you trust? And your story was so extreme. And yet at the root, that becomes the question. And in the time of social media and endless internet information that gets really siloed and can take you down a very narrow path of maybe good information and maybe not good information. And it can be really hard to tell. You know, what's your 2023 advice to parents who are in a position where they think or they know in their heart the care that their child is getting is off? How do you help them? Yes, Well, the reality of it, and it's something that I'm embarrassed by or saddened by, is that often you have to speak up and you have to say no and you have to exert your rights as a patient in our healthcare system to get the best care. I would rather over-empower parents and under-empower them because, because of that reality that it can be really intimidating when you don't speak the jargon and there are older people with more expertise and knowledge in the room, it can be really difficult to speak up and slow down and say no and say you want a second opinion. But sometimes that's just what you have to do. And, you know, in most situations, a little bit of delay to get that extra information to give you confidence or to get that second pair of eyes on your case you know, that's not going to cause harm and it may make you feel a lot better about the situation. Do you or someone you love have smelly feet? Well, this is for you. We made magical socks. We did. The magic is zinc. With zinc around, 
bacteria cannot grow. And if bacteria cannot grow, well, then there are no bacteria to eat the sweat. And if there's no bacteria to eat the sweat, then there's no off-gassing. And if there's no off-gassing, then there's no smell. That's how umsocks work. Check out the link in our show notes or go to myumla.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. And you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order... Go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, Magnesium Breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, Magnesium Breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. 
your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Do you have any tips for how parents can advocate for those things without pushing away their care team? How do they engage with the people who are caring for their kid, even if it's just their primary care doctor, in a productive way when they're getting information from friends, from the internet, from books they're reading, from whatever? Is there language or are there suggestions? One thing I like to encourage parents to ask is to ask your provider, like, is this something that's very standardized? Like if I asked five other pediatricians the same question, do you think they would all tell me the same thing? Because the truth of the matter is most people will acknowledge uncertainty when it's there. And if they say, yes, you could go, you go 10 second opinions and you're going to get the same information. It might save you a lot of angst and increase your confidence. But once they acknowledge that other people would see it differently, you can approach that with curiosity and be like, well, why would they say to do the referral and you don't think it's necessary? Or or what's the point of doing extra testing? Like, why are we avoiding extra testing? And just, it opens the conversation, I think, in a way that's not too threatening. That, that is so helpful because I think people are so afraid of disenfranchising themselves and pissing off their you know, healthcare providers and seeming disrespectful when really it's just like lack of knowledge or worry. Can we use this as a moment to dive into what it's like for the caregivers who are navigating appointments, fear, worry, lack of information, balancing other commitments, other children, home life, work commitments? Like, what is your advice, Kelly? Because I know, I mean, we all live day to day and every single day there's something that goes wrong, right? Whether it's with our kids or, you know, I woke up this morning, there was no water in my house. Car woke up this morning, she was dealing with a sick kid and other things. So it's like every day there's something, right? And we learn as parents to deal with those disturbances, annoyances, frustrations. But when you're dealing with like an ongoing health issue, that means your whole life is turned upside down. What do we need to know about these caregivers? What do we need to keep in mind as a as a friend, as a partner, as a loved one for what they're holding in this process? I think it's important to understand the pressure parents put on themselves to become like instant experts and to identify the one best pathway forward because these expectations are just in no way realistic. And in no way like necessary to put that that extreme amount of pressure because, you know, you do have experts in your corner to give you advice and to educate you. And that's like the point of them being there is to support you in learning about your challenge. And I think there's also never just one right way forward. Um, mm. The right way forward is always the one that, that works for you. And and even if you think you're starting off with the one right, right way forward, part of the plan is to reassess and recalibrate and, and titrate up or titrate down. I think when you're really in the thick of it, dealing with something new, it can be really a dark place for parents mm-hmm. because it's so overwhelming. But the reality is that day by day and week by week, things are going to get easier. You're going to have more knowledge. You're going to have more clarity, but you have to be patient with yourself and with the process. Sometimes it feels like the way we want to support the people around us is to take our learned experience and to hand it to them so that they're not 
starting at square one, but our learned experience, Vanessa describes as our baggage. She is right. That is our baggage. And it doesn't always apply to the situation. And that gets complicated, right? I mean, I think there's that layer too. So, you know, part and parcel with supporting the people who are caring for kids with chronic illness, with medical challenges, with learning issues. We, you know, you, you address school and attentional issues and mental health and all of it. You know, it can be very hard for those who support the families who are helping kids get through these things. It can be very hard to tell those folks your experience is you know, in medicine, we like to say an N of one, right? It's your experience, but it's not necessarily the experience. Kelly, can we talk about guilt a little bit related to that question? Because I think you get into some illnesses that are, you know, hereditary or challenges that the parents had than they see in their own children. And there's a tremendous amount of guilt and sometimes shame because it's like, you've essentially given your kid this challenge to deal with in their own lives. What is a way to help people understand how to kind of navigate that guilt, right? Their feelings are their feelings, but like how do they relieve themselves of some of that burden as they try to help their kid? Yes. Part of the reason I go into all that is because the the lived experience of many parents in these scenarios is very isolating and you Mm -hmm. can feel like very alone in it like nobody could understand or relate. And the things that kind of keep you from reaching out for support from your community are some of these feelings that like, that even though the doctor said it wasn't, maybe it was that medicine I took during pregnancy, or, you know, maybe I could have avoided if he had eaten better or done this or that better. These like, maybe I could have outparented my child's mental health. Mm. Like these, these ideas. So what happens when you share those with other people? is that you can hear them in a different way because you often wouldn't talk to your friends like that. And when you say it out loud, you can see how these are like not true assumptions. Even if something is one factor, there's often like 20 factors in why a child has a diagnosis. So it takes the power of these negative thoughts away when you can share them with others. So so often I'm finding myself encouraging parents to say like would you would you say that to a friend like what if your friend has is dealing with this how would you would you think it was their fault and the answer is like ne- the answer is almost never I would think my friend is culpable for her child's challenge mm-hmm. although it's such a human thing to want to find the place to place blame right I mean think about the anti-vax movement and what is the fuel really to the anti-vax movement it's that you're taking a healthy child and you're taking a needle with, you know, a a serum behind it and you're injecting the healthy child. And then if anything changes in the health status of the child at any point, that's a visual thing. You can remember this thing going into my healthy child that must've changed my healthy child. So it was born the anti-vax movement. I mean, it's, that's a very simplistic way of looking at it, but I think it's so understandable why parents say, you know, I remember I, I talk about this with Vanessa, not infrequently. I remember when I was pregnant, I love tuna fish sandwiches. And I remember standing at a deli crying, crying because I wanted the tuna fish sandwich so much. And it was at the peak of the, you know, you cannot consume mercury phase. And I didn't want to be responsible for doing anything bad, but there was so much weighing on me in that moment. Like I couldn't eat the tuna fish sandwich. And I think that's a very human feeling. Like let's find a cause, even if it's not the cause, right? Oh, it's universal. And we we also like need an outlet for when we feel 
angry about a, a child having a hardship. Like we, we, we want right. to blame someone and sometimes there's no one you can blame and, and hate and punch. And I think we don't talk about anger as much because it's, it's like another feeling that, that people like, don't, you don't want to be like that angry person, but you feel angry when your child is, right. is suffering. And so a lot of people take that out on themselves. Can we flip the lens and talk about the child's experience for a moment, which you've been in those shoes. Can we talk about what happens in the tween and teen years when kids are going through a health challenge? What are the gating events that make things particularly hard in the most general terms? What makes life better or easier for them? Yes. You know, I, I think of it like a tug of war in some ways, because in these tween and teen years, you know, most children are becoming more independent and more able to be their own caregiver and take responsibility for these things. And that is never um, just like a smooth trajectory of more and more and more. And it's often like a back and forth, like you take two steps forward and one step back, or like, you know, what we find a lot is that Kids who are 11, 12, 13 are doing really well um, managing their chronic conditions. And then then they hit a phase where like they're more resentful of having to deal with this when their friends don't or or they want to do the things their friends are doing. And being different is harder than it was when they were 11. And, and all of a sudden, they're not doing as good a job at managing their chronic condition. And and so the reality of it is it's kind of a roller coaster, like most things in teendom. How do you recommend, Kelly, parents, I'll give you a perfect example. My kid takes eye drops to slow down the progression of his myopia. And I was doing his eye drops. And then he said, no, I want to take this on. I'll do my eye drops. And then at a certain point, I discovered, shock of shocks, that he wasn't in fact putting the eye drops in his eyes. No. I know. You guys (laughs) must be flabbergasted by this turn of events. And so what did I do? I did the opposite of what I should have done. And I went into his room and I lost it. And I started shouting at him and I frightened him by saying like, do you know why you're taking these eye drops? You're taking these eye drops. So X, Y, and Z. And if you don't take them, then here's what's going to happen. Of course, I went like completely extreme. I did like textbook, everything you shouldn't do. So if you take my example of what you shouldn't do, Kelly, what's your advice for a parent who is handing off the reins to their kids? And we know it's an up and down. It's one of your squiggles that's up and down. How should they frame it? How much should they explain about the why? How much should they hold back that's sort of age appropriate to not give them anything? What's your advice with that? Yes, I think to go one click back, when you're handing over the reins, it's very common to go from the parent owning the responsibility to the child owning the responsibility and to kind of skip the doing it together or supervising phase. And what happens also is like the novelty of something new, like getting to be in charge of it. Like often kids do pretty good the first few weeks. So even if you are supervising, you may be like, okay, they've got this. And then um, they don't have it. And so that that supervision, doing it together phase, uh, it has to be longer for most kids in general. That's a great point. And it probably depends upon 
whether there is relief of a symptom associated mm-hmm. with the intervention right. or not. If you're uncomfortable, itchy, struggling in school, whatever it is, and this intervention helps, the kid is motivated because when they don't do the intervention, the pain or the itchiness or the struggle in school comes back, right? But when you're talking about eye drops to prevent a future deterioration, that's a hard sell. Yeah. No, it's a big ask, which is why he was terrible at it. So how do we frame it, Kelly, so that it's you know, let's use the example of ADHD medication, right? So the parent who notices their kid isn't taking it is tempted to say, well, you're just going to fail your test today, you know, if you don't take it. I mean, I don't know why you're being so dumb and not taking it because you know that it helps you, right? So obviously that's not the way we want to go as tempted as we are to say things like that to our children. What is the way to go? Like, how do we approach that? So we're giving them information, but we're not diminishing them or frightening them. Yes. This is something that doctors struggle with too. And you know that that there are doctors out there who just try to motivate with like intimidation and yeah. fear and it doesn't work. But <laughs> but what does work is often curiosity and thinking about motivation. So to understand, to ask open-ended questions like what is hard for you about this? Like what is the worst part of taking eye drops? Is it where we're keeping them? Is it is it doing it in the morning? Is it remembering at night? Like, what have you tried? What have you not tried? And just to learn where they're coming from. And that's part of it. And then the other part of it is, is to understand what they know about the condition and why they're doing it and, and what would resonate with them in terms of motivation. So like, the eye drops is a bit tough because it's hard to get a teenager motivated for like a very long-term small risk. Yeah. It's very abstract to them. I think that's a good, I think that's a nice way of framing it, Cara, is like the relief isn't immediate. And so it feels very abstract. Whereas ADHD medicine is the perfect counterexample. Mm-hmm. That if you can hold a mirror up and show them how they behave, perform, feel, And if they can start to identify that with taking the medicine, they will often be motivated to take the medicine. If they, it's not about grades, you know, and I don't want to make it as simple as that with an ADHD medicine. It can be how people respond to you because your impulsivity is better. Let's Mm -hmm. use that example. So a kid who's super impulsive and who's getting negative feedback from friends on medicine may be less impulsive and may be getting more positive feedback and maybe feeling good about him or herself because of the positive feedback. Holding a mirror up to that is an incredible reinforcer, right? Yes. And the other example I used is when I was talking to parents about this concept is vaping, right? Because like Perfect. Yeah. A lot of parents will just be like, don't do it. You could have terrible lung disease. You could have long-term risk of addiction to other substances and cancer from having all these chemicals. And, and that will just like fall flat with a child. But if you think about what is important to the child, like, you know, their performance in sports or like whether they're getting more colds and um, missing more school or missing more events they care about. You know, if you go about it from that angle and you say like, how do you think the vaping is going to affect your, your football game next week? You know, then if you can build that internal compass for doing the right thing, it, you know, it's a lot more durable and it will be a longer lasting effect. 
I want to close, Kelly, with kind of a combination of topics, which hopefully I can weave together. We really try to avoid catastrophizing on the podcast and in our work, as I know that you do, because you're so busy providing really constructive, practical, digestible information to people. But sometimes when we find out things about our kids' health, mental or physical, it's pretty devastating because the disappointment we feel about who they are versus who we thought they were going to be is really a tough pill to swallow. And you, you use the example of the welcome to Holland, right? Where you think you're going to Italy and you get on a you get on a flight and you land in Holland and you're like, even though Holland's great, you're not prepared for Holland. You thought you were going to Italy. Who's the author of that? Mm, I think her last name is Kingsley. Okay. It's such a good metaphor. So if we don't want to catastrophize, but we're having these really big feelings and we're dealing with, at this point, adolescents who are like managing a lot of other stuff, Walk us through your guidance about like what that looks like in the day to day, right? Like what do we need in the home versus what do we need in terms of like a a medical team, the the advocacy, who we want to get around us? Because it's, I know it's so overwhelming as a lay person and it just feels like the world is ending and your vision of what life was going to be like and your family was going to be like and your kid help us back away from the catastrophizing and find like another path for that journey. Yes. I I think giving up a little bit of control of our children's destiny is really hard. And that's part of like walking the life as a, the parent of an adolescent, right? Is that it's like, it's not no longer like your future, it's your child's own future. And sometimes we don't always agree with the decisions that they make and the way they handle things. And that is very hard. And when they're facing a challenge and it's their health, you know, it feels even harder. But I think two things can help. One is to remember that life is long. And so even if they make some mistakes and are worse in the short term. There's an opportunity for growth in those moments and for learning in those moments. And in some ways, it's almost better when parents are there for those, right? Because sometimes the older they get, if a child really like, or a young adult will say like somebody in their early twenties hits a place where they're making a lot of mistakes, a parent has a lot less opportunity for influence. So sometimes if, if your child is hitting mistakes, you know, hitting health challenges between 15 and 18, in some ways it's a blessing because you're there to kind of guide them, watch them, catch them in a in a different way. And to know that like that learning and that positive growth can come from those hard times. And that even like difficult things when we when our children, like I talk about this with relation to my cancer, like definitely made me a better doctor, definitely made me like study harder in school and be more empathetic and potentially be like a better friend. And yeah, like for my mom, it was terrible to have a child with cancer and in the moment to see that potential positive come out of it. But like for many things, there's the potential for positive. So to focus on that, to kind of keep things in perspective is helpful. And this is why we love you. That's amazing advice. It's really just spot on. You are always welcome back. We we really enjoy your perspective. We hope that 
people will read advanced parenting. It is for everyone because there isn't a family that is untouched by some degree of medical challenge. And so the tools that you offer, and the whole book is really about tools, although the second half of the book is labeled tools, but the whole book, it will just help people feel like their feet are planted and that there are actionable things that they can do to advocate for their kid or the kid in their life and frankly for themselves. So thank you for sharing a lifetime of wisdom and we hope that we will hear your voice again soon on the Puberty Podcast. Much I really appreciate your kind words and I hope that it lands that way with all the parents out there. <laughs> I will say that as a non-physician, it's actually really helpful to hear the inner monologue of a physician and what goes through your minds in the process of caregiving and providing medical care for a kid because we forget that doctors are human too and have their own sort of processing and debates and reactions. And so it's a really valuable tool for anyone caring for a kid who's taking a kid to a doctor's office to know what's the calculations going on inside their their doctor's minds and that it's not an us versus them, but it's really a true partnership. So that's a was an unexpected added benefit to reading the book, Kelly. I found it really enlightening, even though I spend all day, every day with Cara. It was an added. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details benefit to the book. So thank you for bringing your voice into it. I found it really helpful and enlightening. Oh, thank you. And good luck. Good luck. We hope everybody buys it and reads it. Thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and getting all your questions. So anytime you want to be in touch, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for great puberty products like the Oom shorts or the Oom socks or the Oom bra, you get the theme there, go to myoomla.com. If you want more content, you love what we do on the Puberty Podcast and you want to have us come speak or learn more about our book or subscribe to our amazing newsletter, The Awkward Roller Coaster, go to orderofmagnitude.co. Remember, it's .co because we don't have enough money to buy .com yet.